At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Wow. The word of the Lord. We continue our series, Unstoppable, Bound by His love, freed by His Spirit, the text today shows us why true followers of Jesus can never go back into the deadly triangle of death, sin, and law. Now, by this statement, I don't mean that Christians never struggle with sin again, or that their desire to sin goes away the moment they come to Christ. On the contrary, their struggle with sin begins The moment they go into the waters of baptism, up until that point, you were simply flowing down the river wherever sin took you. What I do mean by that statement is that in a true follower of Jesus, God has done something that forever changes their nature so that it's impossible for them to go back and make their home once again in the death, sin, and law triangle that we've been learning about. So if you find it easy to go back to that prison that Paul spent chapters 5, 6, and 7 drawing out for us, then you may have one of two issues. You may be a true Christian, but still an infant in the faith. Have you ever seen a baby giraffe trying to walk on the day when it's born? Do you know what I'm talking about? You need to Google it. You know, they're like... like, You know, they they walk like this. Now, cheers for the giraffe, because the giraffe is up and walking on the first day of life. We humans, we take a whole year. I mean, we're lazy. You know, but, but in the faith, maybe you're like that. You haven't learned yet to learn to walk with the gait and elegance of Christ. You know, some people who bear the, the name of Christ still use language that has not been sanctified. Or they don't see the difference between our nation and the kingdom of God. Or they give in to their corrupt desires. Now, all of us are in this process of growing. All of us are in this process, on this journey of becoming fully human like the one who is perfect in humanity, Jesus Christ. So that may be the first thing. You are a true Christian, but you're an infant in the faith. If you're constantly going back to law, sin, and death. But the other issue could be that you are not and you've never been a true Christian. This is the reason that you are finding yourself constantly back in that no man's land of death, sin, and law. Now, maybe you, you spend some time, you surround yourself at times with people who, who, who live somewhere else, you know, because you're still in that, that's your, the reason you find yourself in that neighborhood, of death, sin, and law. It's because that's your street address. That's your domicile. That's where you live. Maybe at times you surround yourself with people who have left that neighborhood, 
Christ people, spirit people, but you yourself have never become like them. You've never become one with Christ. And so Romans 8 today is going to be super helpful to you today. True followers of Jesus never go back into that triangle of death, sin, and law. Think about this. A baby. When a baby, once it's out of the womb, breathing air, it can never go back into the watery existence of the womb. It's impossible. And the same is true for followers of Jesus. You can never go back there. You can never go back to death, to law, to sin. And so today we're going to look at three things that will be true for you. These three things will be true of you if the Spirit of God is in you. Because the reason you are never able to go back into the land of death, sin, and law is the Spirit of God. And so we're going to look at three things that will be true of you if the Spirit of God dwells in you. This will be helpful because as you see these things, you'll be like, yes, I see all three in my life. And so you'll know I belong to Christ. But maybe as you look at these things, you're like, ooh, no, I don't know. That doesn't really define me then perhaps today you will leave that old street address of sin, death, and law and come into the neighborhood of life in the Spirit. So first, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you possess spiritual and resurrection life. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So as Paul has explained before, there are only two modes of existence, two neighborhoods that any person can inhabit, the flesh and the Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit. Now the flesh, we've been talking about this, the flesh refers to to the person who still lives under the corruption and rule of sin. We've talked many weeks about this. Now, Paul is talking to the Christians in the church in Rome, Rome, and so he wants to encourage them. And so he's saying to them, you, however, you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. And then he says, if, if, that's an important if, if the spirit of Christ dwells in you. Now, when a person comes to Christ, four important things, four key things happen. They place their faith in Christ. They believe that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man and that he died for them specifically for their sins. So they place their trust in Christ. Then they repent of their sins. So they they turn away from those sins. They're baptized into water. As we're going to see in two weeks, we have a number of people getting baptized. And I'm so excited. My son is getting baptized in two weeks. So wonderful. And if God is leading you to be baptized, let us know today so we can help you get prepared. So you place your faith in Christ, you repent of your sins, you are baptized in water, and you receive the gift of God's Spirit. Now, only one of those four things is infallible. The other three can be done inauthentically. Your faith can be false, your repentance can be false, and therefore your baptism is false. But the giving of the Spirit of God is something that God does. And God does not lie. That's why Paul says, if anyone, you know, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The way you know that you belong to Christ is not because you come to church, because you read the Bible, because you say a prayer, because you have Christian parents, because you give to the church, because you talk to people about Jesus. The way that we know, the most fundamental way that we know that we belong to Christ is because his spirit is within us. And when his spirit is within us, all kinds of miraculous and life-changing and identity-transforming things happen to us And they never stop happening to us until we take our last breath. What are some of those things? Look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Notice the change from verse 1. In verse 1, which we looked at last week, that glorious verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what he said in verse 1. Now he's saying, Christ, if Christ is in you. You see the difference? Us in Christ, Christ in us. Both are true. 
Us in Christ means that we are in his realm, that we're under the umbrella of his protection, his grace, his authority. That's us in Christ. Christ in us means that his spirit, the spirit of Christ dwells within us. It's that voice of God living within us, calling us to rise up into full humanity. Your pride, your lust, your conceit, your bitterness, your anger, all these things are not part of you as a human the way God created you. And so God's spirit within you is constantly pulling you up into full manhood, womanhood, in the image of God. And so Paul says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the body is dead because of sin, what he's talking about here is the corruption and mortality that came to the human body for every single human since Adam. In other words, the body of a Christian still dies, just like everyone else. This past week, I did a funeral for a Christian, and her body uh, went into the grave just like everyone else. And so the body is dead because of sin. But then Paul says, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness here refers to the victory of Christ over sin and death. Remember Romans 5, 18, by one righteous act from one man. And so when a person places their trust in Christ, Christ gives them his spirit, and that spirit gives them life eternal now. He gives them life eternal now. So picture yourself Body and soul, right? Body and soul, because that's what a human is, right? A human is body and soul. So picture yourself, and you're going through life, and your soul is dead to God because of sin, and your body is dead because of sin also, and you're going through life. But at some point, you come to Christ, and you place your faith in Christ, and your soul comes alive to God. But your body's still dead because of sin. And so you're now walking through life, and at one point, you die. And when you die, your soul, which is now alive to God because of Christ, goes up to be with God and your body goes into the grave. That's what Paul is saying in verse 10. But then verse 11 gets even better. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, here it is, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is amazing because you see, if we only had verse 10, you might think, well, if my body is gonna die the way that everybody else dies, how do I know that anything special has happened to me in Christ? And the answer is verse 11. Paul says, if the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, lives in you, then we know that that spirit will also, that God through that spirit will also give life to your mortal body. That's resurrection life. That's eternal life. God's going to give your very body that life by that spirit. In other words, in Christ, both your soul and your body receive the life of the world to come. Your soul receives it now, the moment that you place your faith in Christ. Your body will receive that new life at the return of Christ. But it's all body and soul that belong to the new age, to the new world. Isn't that amazing? And all of this is because you belong to Christ and his spirit dwells in you. So if the spirit of Christ dwells in you, you have spiritual and resurrection life. That's the first thing. Second, if the spirit of Christ dwells in you, you owe nothing to the flesh. I love this. Look at verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so Paul now tells us that we have a debt. But before telling us the kind of debt we have, we tells, he tells us the kind of debt we don't have. And here's where Christians get tripped up so often. Now, let's remember some of what we've been learning from Paul about sin, death, and law. Remember what we've been learning. The law of God arouses our sinful passions 
And those sinful passions hijack the members of our bodies to bear fruit for death. The members of our bodies, such as our brain, our eyes, our hands, our sexual organs, on and on. And the fruit of that hijacking is fruit for death. Take lust, for example. The scripture says to not look at a woman lustfully. But our sinful desires say to us, why not? Says who? You're going to be so happy. You're going to be so satisfied if you look at a woman, any woman, lustfully. Just do it today. Why wait? So you see, that's the, your sinful passion's talking to you. So now your eyes are primed for lust. They've been hijacked. And do you know how many families have been torn apart by lust? And the ones who pay are the children or take coveting, our desire for more. Scripture says, do not covet. But our sinful desires say to us, why not? It says who? The Bible? <laughs> the Bible is a man-made book so antiquated we live in the West in the 21st century. We have cars and airplanes for transport, not donkeys. Besides, you deserve more. That car, that house, that piece of jewelry, go for it. You'll be so happy. You'll feel so valuable. So now that's your sinful desires talking to you. So now your brain, your eyes, your hands, your feet, they're all primed to give in and to go through with that covetous desire. Why? Because they've been hijacked. On and on. You could do this with anything else that you're, think about yourself. What is it that your sinful desires talk to you about? That's what Paul is talking to us about here. That's how things develop when you lived in the flesh, when your street, city, and state were bad. When your street address was 666 Death Lane, Sin City, Law State, that's where you lived. And if you've never given your life to Christ, that's still where you live today. But if you are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, if you have been baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen to me. You owe nothing to the flesh. You owe nothing to the flesh. You have no debt to the flesh. As soon as your sinful desires start talking to you, why don't you look at a woman, any woman lustfully? You'll be so happy. Let me stop you right there, you say. I don't talk to you, sinful desires. I owe you nothing. Leave me alone. That's what you say because you owe nothing to the flesh. Please don't get tripped up on this. This is where Christians often get tripped up. They think they owe anything to that old neighborhood. You know, your flesh is like a bad landlord. Did you ever, did you ever have a landlord? You know, in New York, you know, you have all kinds of landlords all the time. And with your landlord, there's good landlords too. Some of you are in here. But, you know, there's bad landlords as well. And, you know, after you've, you've completed your lease, you're, you, you've paid your dues, your rent, everything, you've given all of that, and you're done with that lease, and you leave, you're done. No more obligation, but this bad landlord keeps calling you, keeps wanting more from you. Hey, you need to take care of this. You need to take care of that. You need to paint this. You need to pay for that. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait. I did everything. That's, your that's how your flesh is in your life, talking to you. But Paul is saying you owe nothing to the flesh. In fact, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But then look at the last half of verse 13. This verse has helped me so much in my battle against sin, and it's going to help you. Look at what he says, last half of 13. If by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Isn't that wonderful? Oh man, this is great. So what's he saying? Who puts to death the deeds of the body? You do. By what power? The Spirit. Did you see that? Look at it again. If by the Spirit, you if by the Spirit, so the power comes from the Spirit of God, but who's doing the slain? Who's doing the killing? You are. You're putting to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. This church will help you know that if Christ is in you, you're going to have victory over your struggle against sin. 
Why? Because the Spirit of God is in you, and by that Spirit, you are putting to death these things of the body. And man, I have been so encouraged because I've heard of just so much victory going on in your lives in the fight against sin. I've heard of people who are going to recovery meetings many days a week. I've heard of people who are getting rid of their TVs, people who are smashing their iPads and iPhones to pieces, people who are coming clean from addictions. Why? Because if the Spirit of Christ is in you, you go on the attack against the deeds of the body that have hijacked your, the members of your body. They've been hijacked by sin and you're on the attack to slay them, to put them to death and you will have victory. Why? Because the spirit of God dwells within you and is Christ in you. Can we just pause here to give thanks to the Lord for the ability to change by his spirit. Are you grateful for that in your life? Can we praise him? I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I am not the same person that I was 27 years ago. I'm not even the same person I was five years ago. I'm not growing as fast as I want to, but man, I'm not the same because of Christ. Now, finally, if the spirit of Christ dwells in you, you received adoption into God's family. Look at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, now you remember that when Israel came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and they were on their way to the promised land, to Canaan, God went before them in the desert by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. And whenever uh, and that presence of God uh, hovered over the tabernacle, which was where God dwelt among his people. Whenever that pillar of cloud said out, the people of Israel would set out on their journey. And whenever that pillar of cloud came to rest, the people of Israel camped out. Well, with that background in your mind, Paul now reminds Christians of the similar journey they're on. And so he says in verse 14, for all who are led, that's that word led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. We have something far better than a pillar of fire or of cloud leading us into our inheritance, leading us into our promised land, and that is the Spirit of Jesus himself. And I pray that our reverence and awe, knowing that we have God's own spirit in us, would help us exceed Israel's devotion. And if God's spirit leads us, if it is God's spirit that leads us, we know we are children of God. This is so important. You know you are a child of God. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen, when Israel gave way to fear, when they were in the desert, what do they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery. And Christians face the same temptations. Fear comes in. Fear creeps in and grips us. And we want to go back to our old habits, to the old muscle memory of dealing with conflict through anger and feeling worthy through a competitive spirit and surrendering our bodies to sensuality. That's where we want to go back again and again. When fear comes in, and our faith is low, we want to go back to that land of slavery. But Paul says, no, that's not the spirit you've received. That's what we sang earlier. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God, which is what Paul says. No, you've received the spirit of adoption, adoption as sons, adoption as children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you realize how amazing that is? Abba is the same word that Jesus used to refer to his father 
in heaven. The same word. And that's the same word that the Spirit of God in us is teaching us to use as we address our Father in heaven. Abba, Father. The Spirit of God invites us to address our God not just as our Creator, true as that is. Not just as our Lord, true as that is. Not just as our King, true as that is. No, the Spirit of God invites us to address Him with, with a trust, with, a, with an intimacy, with a familiarity that, that a, a secure child addresses their loving Father. That's how the Spirit of God teaches us to address our God. And I talk to people that when, when tests come into their lives, the way, where they go in their minds, it's not with, oh, I got to cling more closely to my Abba than ever before. That's not where they go. They go to guilt. They go to punishment. They go to just giving up. They go to bitterness. It's like, no, you don't know this Spirit. The spirit by which you address your God with this trust, with this knowledge that you are his child and he is your father. Man, earlier this, this year, we were in Florida. So we're at the beach. You know, my family loves the beach. I don't love it as much, but they do. And so we're out there. We're at the beach. And it was so nice. You know, just we're sitting on our chairs. Anna and I, we have our LaCroix in hand. And we're like, you know, sunglasses. And we're resting. And the sun is beating down. And you know how that is. Like, after you're in the sun for a little while, you start feeling kind of groggy. You know, kind of like, you're just like, maybe even start sleepy a little bit. But it was so good. The breeze. And about 20 or 30 yards from us, in the water, are our kids. And they're playing. And they're having a blast. And there was this raft, this watermelon print raft that they were playing with and and so but at one point they're playing and jet takes it from the girls and you know which this kind of spat happens like so many times throughout the day and so this thing happens and um and so so sailor sailor just yells at me like dad jet took the raft you know but i'm like remember i'm like kind of sleepy kind of like so relaxed so i'm like okay no not okay. Rain, I mean, Sailor gets out of the water and she marches straight toward me. She puts her fist on her hips and says, Dad, he took the raft. Are you going to do nothing? And at that point, I did do something. You know, I got up, I went, I dealt with the situation, but there was injustice. But she came to me, right? She came to me with, with that kind of approach because no one talks to me like that in my life. Nobody talk, talks to me like that except my children. You know, sometimes parents are like, oh, if only my children listen to me like my, the people at my job listen to me. No, you don't want that. The people at your job don't know you. They might fear you. They don't have the intimacy that a child has. Yes, your children need to listen to you. Come to the class on Friday, okay? But there is a level of intimacy, of trust, of familiarity, of boldness, of audacity that a child has toward a father. And what Paul is saying to us is, that's the kind of spirit we've received. Do you talk to God like that? Do you approach him like that in your time of need? Because if you don't, then maybe, maybe his spirit is not in you. Or maybe you're just very infant in the faith and you have not learned yet to apprehend this truth to yourself. It gets even better. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit of God begins to speak to our spirit, you guys. So that now we have two different sources for our thoughts and intuitions. This is amazing. One of the sources is your own thoughts. And even what your sinful desires say to you, the other source is the Spirit of God, who is constantly reminding you of God's love for you, who is compelling you to say no to the flesh, you owe nothing to the flesh, who is empowering you to take a certain path, do a certain task, reach a certain person. If you've walked with Christ for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. Grow as a Christian includes, and it's so important, this part, growth as a Christian is to recognize the voice of God, the witness of God's spirit in you, his voice in you, and to cherish it, and to nurture it, and to, and to cultivate yielding to it, so that that becomes your primary mode of existence. That's what growth as a Christian is, and one of the main things, it's not the only thing, but one of the main things 
that the Spirit of God does in us, convinces us of, is that we are children of God. Listen, in your quest for approval, you don't have to get drunk. You are a child of God. You don't have to desecrate your body. You are a child of God. You don't have to ruin your most precious relationships. You are a child of God. Everything changes in our self-understanding when we know that we've gone from rebels and slaves to children and heirs. Rebels and slaves, no more. Children and heirs. Believers are no longer slaves, but heirs with Christ. Heirs with Christ. Look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In Psalm 2, God says to his Messiah, to his anointed king, to his son, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And now Paul tells us that this is where we as Christians are going to. The whole creation belongs to God's Messiah, to Jesus Christ. All of its peoples, all of its nations, all of its resources, all of that is his. And through him, it's our inheritance. It belongs to us as well through him. But on our way to glory, on our way to our inheritance, there will be suffering. There will be suffering the way to the throne is through the cross. The way to the throne is through the cross. As for Jesus, so for us. And so church, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. As a child of God, you have God's spirit. It is a spirit of adoption. It is a spirit that makes you a child of God. You belong to him. The whole creation belongs to the Messiah and through him to us. If you have the spirit of God, you belong to God. So ask yourself this question. Do you have the spirit of God? Is the spirit of God in you? Because if he is, then you belong to God. It's done. God has claimed you. You can never go back to the land of sin, death, and law. You will never go back because you are Christ. You belong to him. And so you are alive. You are fully alive. Your soul is alive now. Your body will be fully alive after it turns to dust. Because as surely as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise you. So you're alive, and you owe nothing to the flesh. You owe nothing to the flesh. Do not be tripped up by this. Don't give in. Why would you allow the members of your body to be hijacked by your sinful desires? Why would you do that? The ransom has been paid in blood. It's why we're taking the Lord's Supper. The ransom has been paid. Don't listen to your sinful desires. Don't be tripped up. Don't give in. When are you going to cancel your porn subscription? When are you going to delete that app that is eating away your time and is corrosive to your soul? When are you going to stop going to food for comfort instead of going to God on your knees in desperation? Follow the lamb wherever he goes. Follow the son of God wherever he takes you. Be led by the spirit of God. Recognize his voice within you. Cherish that voice. Nurture that voice so that you will know that at every stage of your journey, you will know my God is leading me. I have no doubt. Provided we suffer with him, we also shall be glorified with him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a scripture. What a passage. Lord, we would never know this 
if your word would not reveal it to us. We would never know that your very essence, your very self lives within us, within us. Teaching us your thoughts, teaching us to love you, teaching us internally at the heart level that we are your children, that we can approach you with that confidence, with, with that boldness that my children approach me with. Thank you, God, for that witness that we're no longer slaves. We are children of God. We owe nothing to the flesh because our Savior paid the ransom. And so, Father, now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, Father, I ask you that you would help us settle our hearts, that you would help us take inventory and see if there's anything offensive in us. By your spirit within us, speak to us and tell us, convict us, shine that spotlight even right now and say, that thing, that thing, John, needs to be gone. That thing, help us and help us prepare to enjoy your table. Church, take a few moments to settle your heart before your Savior, before we take the elements. Let us take the bread, the body of the Lord, given for us. Let us take the cup, the blood of Jesus, shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being so good to us, for giving us your body, for giving us your blood to make us your children. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, dear family, so now I have to make a difficult announcement. Over the last few months, the Lord has made clear that he's leading my family and I to shepherd another congregation. I know. Um, yeah. You know, this process of discerning our new assignment uh, has been long. There have been many steps, and we've involved uh, the leaders of our church from the very beginning. Now, I want you to know that this was not something that we were looking for at all. Um, we've been so happy here the last almost six years, so happy. Uh, I have said to many people, the last six years have been the happiest of my life. I would do them again in a heartbeat, except the three months in 2018 when a rat moved into our home, <laughs> uninvited, this scoundrel. You guys remember this. But you guys have been a joy to shepherd. You know, frankly, I feel... Uh, I feel guilty a little bit around in pastor circles because you always hear, uh, you know, just pastors talking about how people complain to them. They complain about this sermon. They complain about this program. They complain about this, that, or the other. And that just has not been you at all. You've been a joy to pastor. Your love for the word, the level of repentance in this congregation the kind of community that the Lord has built, it's brought me to tears many times. But it is the Lord who appoints our assignments. And so earlier this year, I received a phone call from Oak Point Church in Novi. Their founding pastor of 25 years, Bob Shyrock, was retiring this past June. And so they asked me if I'd be willing to be considered a candidate. And so Anna and I responded to this as we usually do when the Lord brings these kind of things into our lives. We leaned in with prayer, with fasting. We started talking to the people in our lives. And, um, 
And we just, you know, we just wanted to see what that process might entail, knowing that perhaps it would amount to nothing. Uh, but it didn't, right? Uh, they hire a search firm to help them through this transition. And so that firm put together a profile of the congregation. And when they matched that with the profile of me that they put together, the match came back very high. And so at that point, Anne and I began to perceive that perhaps there are some gifts, some live and ministry experiences that the Lord has given us uh, uniquely to fit a time like this so that we can go and take care of this kingdom need. And so at that point, the process intensified. There were other candidates. There were many interviews, many questions, much prayer. Uh, and here we are where they're calling me to be their next lead pastor. Now, this has not been easy at all. It has not been easy for uh, my children. It has not been easy for us. You know, uh, it's hard to leave a place where you feel so loved. And you know, we have felt so loved from the very beginning. Uh, you may not love us as much as we think you do, but we feel so loved. We always have. And so how do you leave that behind? I mean, like, Doing ministry with you for the last six years, it's been amazing. And, and working with the larger Woodside, it's been a blast. It's been an education. You've changed us. You've transformed me and my family. We are different. I'm a different person. I'm a different follower of Jesus because of your love, because of your witness to the gospel. And the same with my children. We could just take hours to go story after story, person after person, pouring into my family, my kids. It's been pastoral ministry at its best. How do you leave that behind? It's not easy. But we don't follow our God because it's easy. We follow him. We go wherever he takes us because we bear his name. And so, as far as the timeline, I'm going to Oak Point next Sunday to preach. Uh, Steve Zarelli will be here preaching uh, next Sunday. Steve works with all of our campuses. He's also here today. He's going to close us in prayer. Uh, and then I'll come back the 21st and the 28th to finish Romans 8 with you. Uh, you could not ask for a better chapter of scripture to finish on a fantastic chapter of ministry. And then uh, our goal is to take the month of December off and then start at Oak Point in January. So that's the announcement. And... Um, I hope that you can keep it yourself on the way out so the people coming in can focus on the word as they come in. Um, but as I've been praying for you and for the shepherd that the Lord will send you, I'm reminded of something you've heard me say a number of times during transition. And that is that our God would not do something that is good for some of his children and bad for the rest. And so if this is good for Oak Point, it is good for Woodside Royal Oak. We serve one body of Christ. And so I've had a twin prayer for you and for the brother that would come after me. I've been praying that the gap between my departure and his arrival would be small. And I've also been praying that the Lord would give you a good preacher because I know how much you love the preaching of his word. And so perhaps you can join me in those two uh, prayers and any others the Lord gives you. But let me leave you with this. I believe, and I've thought about this a lot, I believe that the greatest gift I've given you is not my preaching, but the Christ who is pleased to reveal himself to you through the preaching of his word. And that Christ, that Jesus, in all of his wisdom and beauty and power and strength and love remains with you. He remains with you forever and nothing gives me greater joy than to know that the Lord is your shepherd and he dwells within you by his spirit I love you and I have much more to say to you in the coming weeks Steve I can honestly tell you, uh, this is one of the things I don't uh, love about this role, um, but it's important, and I'm so honored and grateful to be here with my brother John today. Uh, one of the things I love about Pastor John and Anna 
is they are spiritual family, and that's what they've created here, uh, is you are spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and I know that he has served so well in teaching all of this church family what that ultimately means, the responsibility for one another, the love for one another, the care for one another. Now, I've had some time to process, so I know that most of the words that I would say today, it's not going to be all that helpful. Um, John and I have been walking this journey together for many months now um, and praying for one another daily. Uh, He's a dear friend. Anna and Katie, my wife, have been in prayer for one another. And we've actually journeyed through a lot of different conversations over the last several years together. And so I've had some time to process through this, but I know that the thought of change in spiritual family when God does send uh, such a key pastor and leader of this church family onto another place is very hard. At the same time, I just want to reaffirm what he has said, that um, this is one of those stories where the two churches and the way it's been walked out I just wish it was done this way every time. Everything's been done above reproach. There's been no hiding. There's no fear. There's been no shame. There's been no secrets. There's been no, I don't want to share with you Woodside because this might change the way that Chris or Steve or we might interact. None of that at all. There's been full transparency every single step of the way. And the only thing I can tell you is there is nothing in this entire story at all worth chasing that is not honoring to Jesus. It's all been actually done far above reproach. And I'm so grateful for that. So don't even allow, as he was saying today, your mind and the members of your body to go to some place imagining some story that is not present. He loves you, and we love you. And this was a painstaking process for all involved, and yet obedience, I wrote it down, Sending for the sake of the gospel and obedience to the Spirit is what we're all after. And that's really what this is. It's Woodside, by God's grace, thank you, Jesus, sending one of our own for the sake of the region, the kingdom, and the gospel for his glory. And we get to be a part of that. And as John said, I know that he will honor the faithfulness of this church family with an amazing leader to follow as well. So we are grateful for that. If you have questions, a couple announcements for us today. Um, If you have any questions, first, next Sunday on the 14th in the afternoon at 5 p.m., Pastor Chris and myself and John will all be here, along with the elders, uh, to take any questions and really do an FAQ. Uh, we've been through transitions, of course, as a church family before. So to give you kind of an overview of what is to come and what you can expect and just uh, create that space for us to share with you uh, more of what is going to be coming in the days ahead uh, so you can have that clarity. And then if there's some additional questions that you have, then we'll do our best to answer those as well. In the meantime, if you have questions, the elders are going to be in the lobby today. There's a QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. If you want to scan that, then you can submit questions electronically. And Pastor Jonathan Kwan gave me a number. Um, So here's a number if you'd like to write it down to get Jonathan Kwan access whenever you want, (laughs) 24-7. All the time. Maybe send most of these at 2 or 3 in the morning. I'm sure he'd love that. 248-694-8224, 248-694, I feel like a radio person right now, 8224. So you can also text that number, it will go to him and he will respond. Uh, I just want to read a scripture and then I'll pray uh, from Colossians because I know this is uh, Pastor John and Anna's heart and all of our church. And this is where the Apostle Paul, the same apostle who wrote Romans 8, is talking about the preeminence of Christ. And I think it is a good initial thought for our hearts as you process today. I'm just going to replace the pronouns of he with who they are referring to, who Paul is referring to, which is Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. We are held together. This 
local expression of the body of Christ is held together by Jesus. We try our best not to be a personality-driven culture, a celebrity-driven culture, and yet it's so hard when we have uh, such gifted brothers and sisters who lead us. But I want us to remember that reality today. We are held together by Jesus, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. He is the one who is meant to be first in our hearts and lives, and he'll be first here, and he has been, so he'll continue to do his work. Let's keep Jesus as preeminent in our thinking in all of these things. So I want to thank you for your receptivity. I'm actually very thankful for just the raw emotion of the room. That just means the Spirit's created a beautiful thing and done a wonderful thing, and will continue to. And if I could pray for you and for Pastor John, that would be wonderful. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this morning. What a great word that you had for us. I pray that we would truly embrace it by the power of your spirit. That we would understand, Father, and I'm speaking to my own soul. Father, that we need to make that choice personally, volitionally. That we are empowered by your spirit to overcome the sin that entangles and distracts us from you. And Father, when there's change and transition and announcements that are unexpected, Father, that is often a time when the enemy attacks. I pray that he would not. I pray that he would overcome, be overcome, that he would be slain, just as we've heard today, by our choices as we together follow the Spirit and the way of Jesus in this church and community. So, Father, help us to continue this great work of helping people belong to Jesus and grow in him and reach this world, this desperate world for him. Father, it is in that spirit that I know John and Anna have been praying. And Lord, although this is difficult news for those of us who love him so deeply, this is good for you, good for your kingdom, and therefore good for us. Sometimes we have to trust these things by faith when we do not see. And so, Father, that's what we choose to do today. As John and Anna are doing the same, I pray that same thing for all of us here. So, Father, I pray that we would lift up your name today, lift up the name of Christ, and that although there's sorrow in our hearts and sadness within us because of relationship and love, We can stand and actually celebrate in the goodness of who you are, saying, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for what you will do in the days ahead. You are faithful. And we trust you. And even in the sad times, the hard times, the difficult times, the uncertain times, we lift our eyes to heavens and we say, Jesus, we praise you. So, Father, that's what you're asking us to do even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.